Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's 8.20 p.m., August 27, 2019, in Northamptonshire, England. 19-year-old Harry Dunn leaves his friend's house on his Kawasaki motorcycle, heading home. Harry enjoys riding his bike and likes to take long trips down the English coast. He's an experienced cyclist, but even experienced cyclists must rely on the competency of other drivers. He turns onto a two-lane road that winds past Croughton U.S. Air Base. At about the same time, Anne Sekoulis pulls onto the road from the airbase in her Volvo XC90. She's got her two children inside, and they're heading home after attending a barbecue on base. But Anne is driving on the wrong side of the road. She's from the United States, and she's forgotten that in England, you drive on the left. The Volvo hits Harry head-on. He's thrown over the vehicle. His body strikes the rear window before coming to rest on the ground. He's pronounced dead at John Radcliffe Hospital a short time later. Terrible accidents happen every day. Good people make horrible mistakes. But when an innocent 19-year-old boy is killed, we expect a certain amount of justice. A few years in jail to balance the loss of a full life. But Anne would not go to jail. Not for one day. Why? Because Anne was married to an agent for the U.S. government, and when the British police came around asking questions, she used the magic words, diplomatic immunity, and then she fled the country. You see, laws don't apply to everyone equally, but you already knew that. Rich people, for instance, rarely go to jail because they can afford to hire the best attorneys, and their power alone makes prosecutors think twice about charging them. But did you know that for thousands of years, diplomats and spies have enjoyed special privileges, including the ability to commit a crime in broad daylight 
and simply get away with it. Harry Dunn's death exposed this old practice to the general public, and there was an enormous outcry. President Trump even got involved in a very Trump-like way. And while this tradition seems ludicrous on the surface, most governments believe that there is a real need for diplomatic immunity even today. But the question remains, was it used correctly in the case of Harry Dunn? This is The Philosophy of Crime, and I'm your host, James Renner. Remember the Lethal Weapon movies? Such a great series. Riggs and Murtaugh, two cops who never play by the rules. Hard to watch anymore because, you know, Mel Gibson is fucking nuts. But whenever I hear the phrase diplomatic immunity, I think of Lethal Weapon 2, where the team uncovers a money laundering operation run by a South African diplomat named Rudd. And every time they catch him, he says, diplomatic immunity in his creepy accent. And then, at the end, Rudd shoots Riggs in the back, and Murtaugh points a gun at him, and Rudd smiles and says, Diplomatic immunity. But Murtaugh, he's been pushed too far. He shoots Rudd in the damned face and says, It's just been revoked. It's pretty sweet. But in real life, that sort of thing usually starts a war. Diplomatic immunity goes way back. It's mentioned in ancient Indian epics like the Mahabharata, which is thought to have been compiled around 400 BC. Herodotus, the Greek historian, who was alive at about that time, wrote about how the Persian king Xerxes sent diplomats to Sparta to ask for the Spartans' loyalty and submission, to which Jared Butler responded by shouting, This is Sparta! and kicking the messenger down the well, thus instigating the Battle of Thermopylae. Diplomatic immunity was very important to the Islamic prophet Muhammad, who sent envoys across the known world. Sharia law grants safe passage to any state messenger and even exempts them from paying taxes. Genghis Khan was known for destroying entire cities whenever one of his ambassadors was killed. Most of the laws that govern diplomatic immunity today stem from an international treaty that came out of the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations in 1961. The terms were drafted by the United Nations and the agreement was meant as a way to develop friendly relations between nations. It's harder to view a foreign state as an inhuman enemy if you can meet their people face to face in safe settings. It works well because of the inherent mutual benefit. Our ambassadors are safe from prosecution in other countries whose judicial system is different from ours as long as their ambassadors enjoy equal safety within our borders. For instance, some of the countries we send our representatives to could arrest someone for drinking alcohol or not wearing a hijab. Those laws don't exist in the United States, so we wouldn't take kindly to our messengers being arrested for such things. In a way, it extends the freedoms of the home country to foreign states for traveling dignitaries. Like many treaties and laws, its creation was well-meaning. It makes sense logically, but there are times where diplomatic immunity is used to escape culpability for a crime that anyone would acknowledge is unjust, no matter where you come from. Crimes like manslaughter, rape, and child abuse. In 1987, a nine-year-old boy named Terence Karamba came to school and his teachers noticed scars and bruises on his body. He told authorities that his father had beat him, 
Normally, that would get a man arrested quickly, but Terence's father was Floyd Karamba, an attaché from Zimbabwe. He was never charged due to diplomatic immunity. In April 2012, Eric Bernals was accused of raping a 19-year-old Filipino woman, but he worked for the Panama Embassy in Manila, and there was nothing the police could do. Diplomatic immunity also played a role in covering up the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, who was tortured and killed inside the Saudi embassy in Turkey. Saudi officials would not allow the Turkish police inside to investigate, since their embassy and everything that occurred inside was covered under immunity. Just last year, UN diplomat Charles Dickens Emin Oliha raped a woman in New York City and then returned to South Sudan without being arrested. It's the little things, too. Diplomats have rung up over $17 million in unpaid parking tickets outside embassies in New York. The gall. And besides the death of Harry Dunn, there's a rather long list of violent traffic accidents where ambassadors have escaped justice. While certain immunity is clearly needed, some have abused the system to protect their own interest over the interests of their home countries. These foreign diplomats and ambassadors enjoy rights that no other class of people on earth enjoy. They are viewed as better than us. And that goes against a very old philosophy known as egalitarianism. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Our laws in the United States are founded on the philosophy of egalitarianism, the belief that everyone should be treated equally. Remember the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Of course, that bit about all men being created equal now means all people regardless of race or gender. All people are equal. That's the backbone of American freedom. In public, at least, we believe in equality and opportunity and economics and law for all people. Florida might be an exception these days, but it's still generally true. Equality is about fairness. Fairness in a harsh, indifferent world. It's about fixing the unfairness of being born into a lower class, without the opportunities to acquire a decent job or a safe place to live. Every human should have the same opportunity to live in peace and not struggle for basic services. When that social contract breaks down, things get dicey. There was little fairness and equality in France a couple hundred years ago, which is why they cut off the Queen's head and declared as their country's new motto, Liberty, Equality, Fraternity. Let me tell you a little bit about a philosopher named John Rawls, who came up with a clever thought experiment that illustrates the importance of egalitarianism. Rawls was born in 1921, and his early life supports my theory that brilliant minds are often formed by childhood trauma. Rawls was the second of five sons, and he accidentally killed two of his younger siblings. When he was seven years old, Rawls contracted diphtheria. His younger brother, Bobby, visited his sickbed and was infected with it. Rawls recovered. Bobby did not. Then a year later, Rawls caught pneumonia and passed it to his other brother, Tommy, who died from the illness. How very unfair. It's no surprise, then, that Rawls devoted his life to the idea of fairness in this indifferent universe. Unfortunately, Unfairness followed him at every step. Rawls went to college, where he studied philosophy and theology. He considered attending a seminary, but then in 1943, he enlisted in the U.S. Army and was dispatched to the Philippines to fight the Japanese. The violence he witnessed there caused him to lose his faith and become an atheist. When he saw the aftermath of the atom bomb at Hiroshima, he lost all faith in the military, too. He had risen in rank to sergeant by then, and one day he was asked to discipline a soldier, and he just couldn't do it. So they demoted him to private, and he left the army in 1946. When he returned stateside, Rawls enrolled at Princeton, where he pursued a doctorate in moral philosophy. After graduating, he taught at Princeton for a couple years before bouncing to Cornell and then Harvard in 1952. He continued to teach at Harvard for 40 years, mentoring and inspiring some of the great minds of the 20th century. In 1971, Rawls published his groundbreaking book, A Theory of Justice, 
which presents a unified field theory of freedom and equality that he called justice as fairness. To explain his philosophy, Rawls came up with a thought experiment called the original position. Here's how it works. When considering what sort of political and economic structure a society should have, the authors of this government should operate behind a veil of ignorance, operating as if they have no knowledge of their own gender, race, age, wealth, education, or religion, or where they will end up in the society they are creating. If they do this, they are likely to create the most fair and just society because they know that they may end up being the weakest member of that society once it is formed. Imagine if our own society had been constructed this way. We'd have a livable minimum wage, right? An affordable rent, because the lawmakers might find themselves in a menial job in San Francisco when it was all over. We'd surely have things like universal health care and free education. It shows just how self-serving our government has become. Our lawmakers know they'll never have to struggle if they sell their souls. Nobody's looking out for the little guy anymore. And we definitely wouldn't have something like complete diplomatic immunity because they'd be just as likely to be Harry Dunn as they would Anne Sekoulis. This thought experiment by John Rawls shows that diplomatic immunity is inherently and inarguably unfair. But some of his contemporaries didn't give a shit and looked at egalitarianism as hippy-dippy nonsense. Nature is not fair, so why does society have to be? By definition, doesn't that make egalitarianism unnatural? Probably the biggest critic of egalitarianism in the 20th century was this total chad named Murray Rothbard. Rothbard published 20-some books and taught at New York University and Brooklyn Polytechnic. He worked with one of the Koch brothers to create the Cato Institute in the 1970s, and he was kind of a godlike figurehead of the libertarian movement. He was an acolyte of Ayn Rand, and he often bragged about making a living for 40 years without ever having to get up before noon. In his book, Egalitarianism as a Revolt Against Nature and Other Essays, Rothbard writes, Equality is not in the natural order of things, and the crusade to make everybody equal in every respect is certain to have disastrous consequences. Rothbard was also fond of saying, The glory of humanity is the difference, the individuality of each person, and each person is unique and irreplaceable, which is what makes each individual precious. It's a lovely platitude at face value, but what he is arguing against is the desire to treat everybody the same. Everyone isn't the same, Rothbard would say, so why should we design a society to put everybody on the same level? Isn't that another way of destroying that unique individuality? It should come as no real surprise, then, that someone so against the concept of egalitarianism was also inherently racist. Rothbard said that black Americans should embrace racial separatism if they knew what was good for them. He thought that the former Ku Klux Klan Grand Wizard David Duke could serve as a model for the libertarians' efforts to connect with rednecks. And even though he was himself a secular Jew, his former students have said that he loved using anti-Semitic terms in class. Unlike Rawls, Rothbard did not witness the horrors of the Pacific Theater in World War II, and did not see what the atom bomb did to Hiroshima. There is no record of a particularly traumatic childhood, 
He certainly didn't accidentally kill two of his brothers. To Rothbard, a white man in the 20th century, the world did not seem so unfair. Humans have been gifted the ability to create a system better than nature. Aren't we obliged to do so? Anyway, the debate between Rawls and Rothbard continues today. Our colleges have just recently dropped affirmative action requirements for enrollment, after all. So Rothbard and similar libertarians have a lot of support. If we looked at diplomatic immunity through the lens of Rothbard, an argument could be made that the life of Harry Dunn was simply less important than the freedom of Anne Sekulis. She deserves special accommodation because she is, in a very real way, special. And Harry Dunn was not. How does that sit with you? Yeah, me too. It's been four years since Harry Dunn was killed, and the only thing we know for sure is that Anne Sekulis is a coward. She got out of the country as soon as she could, leaving grieving parents and any real justice behind. The Crown attempted to have Sekulis extradited, but they were denied at every turn. First, our government said it was because Sekulis was the wife of a diplomat, and there was an agreement between the U.S. and the U.K. that diplomatic immunity extends to the spouses and children of foreign agents. Then the media reported that Sekulis herself was a spy, and her lawyers argued that if a person accidentally kills someone with their car in the United States, they rarely get prison time, and that she wouldn't travel to a court in the U.K. because their sentencing was too harsh. Boo fucking who, right? Then, in October 2019, Harry Dunn's parents were invited to the White House to meet with a senior official. But they were surprised to be greeted by President Trump himself, who tried to do what he does best, broker a deal that only really serves himself. He told the Dunn's that Sekulis was in the next room, anxious to meet with them, and that his Secretary of Treasury was standing by to write a check to make everything go away. Dunn's family told him to stuff it. And so, for a couple years, two world powers argued back and forth about what to do with Anne Sekulis. And she sat back at her home in Virginia and watched it all happen, instead of standing up and taking responsibility for her actions and putting an end to an international incident. The Crown called bullshit on her immunity, and there was eventually a trial in the UK. But Sekulis refused to attend in person. She pleaded guilty to causing death by careless driving via video link and was given a suspended sentence. Harry Dunn is dead, and Anne Sekulis is free, because in the real world, some people really are more important than others in the eyes of this outdated law. The Philosophy of Crime is a Fearful Symmetry production. This episode was recorded by Jeff Koval at the State Level Recording Studio in Fairlawn, Ohio. It was produced and edited by William Mankey. I'm James Renner. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out my new weekly podcast, True Crime This Week. William Mankey also writes the music for this podcast. Look for his other creations at woodif.com. Until next time, remember that there's a simple but challenging solution to the epidemic of crime. If everybody took the time to make good friends with their neighbors, we would know when somebody needs our help before they become a statistic. Don't be fearful of the world. Make friends and make it better.